Good morning to you. Oh, first service was chipper. I guess spring is in the air, and it's about time, although yesterday it looked a, a, a little bit not so great, right? It's not snowing out right now, is it? I sure hope not. Well, you may notice I have bags under my eye, and what I'm telling you that for is my puppy did arrive, and my puppy has had uh, six different names this week. Uh, I will say that it, my wife and I have often struggled with this. One of our children went nameless, I think, for five days. Uh, because we just couldn't decide what to call him. And in the end, we called him Brian, simple name, everybody knows it, and uh, that's what we did. So the puppy this week, his name is, was started out being Chancho, a little bit of Mexican there. Uh, here's the, one of my favorite ones, Doodle Zach. That's a German word for bagpipe, because boy, can he cry. Vader was one of my favorite ones too, because we have a puppy called Ella, so then we would have had Elevator. My grandson really liked that name. Uh, we called him Moses or Mo, and so then we would have had an Alamo. <laughs> oh, only those from Texas get that one. Uh, my wife really liked Doodles, but it's a little boy dog, just didn't seem right to me. Uh, lately, we're calling him Copper, and uh, I teased my wife and said, oh, that's just because you like little kids, and Copper's the name, and the, he's a little puppy in one of those little kids cartoon things, and she goes, I haven't even seen the movie, that's not it at all. But anyway, so right now it's copper, but uh, it's been fun. It's been a good week, and uh, he slept till 5.30 this morning. It sounded like I'm talking about a baby, right? And uh, then I had to get him up, and uh, he sleeps in a little soft cage on our bed. Yeah, I'm a suck. And uh, last night he never cried until 5.30, and I got up, put him on his pee pad. He did what he needed to do, and then I had to go to the pee pad, so I just threw him on the bed. <laughs> And I came back, I was going to put him in his cage, and he was snuggled in under the blankets with my wife. She had his, her arm around him. I think I won my wife over. Well, the puppy won my wife over, so we're good. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we joke about names, it is so very true that we are such a, an opinionated people these days. Uh, we have turned our opinion, our ideas, our ideology into a sport. And I heard it said yesterday, God, somebody said to me at our men's uh, father's daughter uh, breakfast, uh, they said that uh, you can look on the internet to find an answer that would agree with anything you want to think. And I know that's true, whether people want to think the earth is flat, whether they want to believe vaccines good or bad, whether they want to think marijuana is good or bad whether they want to think that Christianity is good or bad, whether they want to think, and on and on it can go. It's really hard, God, to filter out all the voices, all the opinions, and come to a point of truth, empowerment, transformation, and relationship with the creator of heaven and the earth. And so as we go to your word today, may your word just come forth incredibly powerful, tearing down the strongholds, the ideas in our minds that keep us from a true knowledge of you. So Holy Spirit, penetrate our hearts, and may we be humble. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. 
We do spend a lot of time arguing. We, we argue over silly points. And somebody, a younger person, said to me, haters will hate. Haters will hate. I, I'm not really sure, and you can tell me your opinion on this later. I wasn't inundated first service, so probably won't this service, but I think all the internet uh, has done is has given people that were opinionated anyway a platform. And uh, a lot of us often buy into their stuff. I got an email yesterday telling me that I'd ordered something and I needed to send them more information. And for a second, I almost fell for it. And then I thought, no, it's somebody just trying to steal my credit card information, a bunch of other stuff. But man, there's a lot of that out there. What's true? What's not? What's right? What's wrong? What's good for you? What isn't good for you? None of my children will eat eggs because I have high cholesterol. And when I was younger, I was told eggs were bad for cholesterol. And then they told us that eggs were good for cholesterol. And now I think I just read two weeks ago, now they're bad for cholesterol again. So what do we know? What's true? If social media has taught me anything, it's taught me people are really entrenched in their ideologies. Don't misunderstand me, though, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is full of facts, and these facts will change people. Yet I believe more and more as I get older that it's about whether your heart is humble and receptive to God, and you will grow. My one daughter is up from Abbotsford where she lives with her two girls and husband, and so my two daughters were talking to me this week, and uh, I don't even remember how we got into this conversation. As you hear, as I describe it to you, you'll, like me, wish we hadn't got into the conversation, but uh, one of my daughters looked at me and said, you know, Dad, one of my worst memories of you was, and I should have left the room then. <laughs> she said, there was this one time you yelled at Mom, and you didn't say some nice things. Ah, oh, that cut me to think. And, and honestly, I, I think back, and I even asked my wife, did, did I do that a lot? She goes, no. But little ears, they hear. I remember saying to my daughter in the conversation, I said, well, what did I do? Well, how did I respond? She goes, actually, Dad, you're really good. You came to me and apologized and said that was wrong behavior for a man of God and for your daddy. And then you went to mom in front of me and apologized to her. So I thought, whew, at least I got that one right for once. We all lose it right, but I got it right that one time. But it, it did remind me. It did remind me that my children are always watching. I went to two round tables this week. We were trying to bring church renewal to other churches in the peace country. So one was here in Grand Prairie and one in Fort St. John. And the presenter was presenting and he shared, and this comes from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, they did a study as to why our young people are leaving the church. Here's the stat, 80%, 80% of our evangelical church young people are walking away from the faith when they turn 18. It has gone astronomical. So EFC did a study and they asked these young people why. I just will give you the one reason. Our young people are walking away from the church because when they watched their parents in their faith, 
they saw two things. They saw no change, and they saw no difference from the world. Does that break your heart? And I wanted to tell you first of my story because I am sick with the thought that my lack of walking with Jesus, my lack of being filled with the Holy Spirit could have derailed my daughter and wounded her soul. I say this to you because we must never be happy to be just like the world or the same as we were last year. If we do not have Jesus, if he's not changing your life, if you're trying really hard to be a better person, you're becoming more religious, it will be futile unless you understand the sermon today. Can we all be honest? Can we say that this is a bit of a problem in our lives, in our church's lives? The Canadian evangelical church is in trouble. Can we be honest and choose to do something that maybe will grow ourselves in our faith? Turn to Acts chapter four. Last week we went through Acts chapter three. In Acts chapter three, there was a lame man from birth who was healed. And this opened up Peter to preach a sermon. And if you remember, Peter was brutally hard. You, you, you. And then he said, well, I know you didn't know better. But God. And then we get to Acts chapter four and the story carries on. Acts chapter four, verse one. We come across Jesus' resurrection power. Hear it, listen for it. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, really religious people by the way, came up to Peter, who was the head of the church at that time, and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. I am afraid, listening to the election news, by the way, some of the people that they've gone after in this recent election are actually Alliance pastors. They seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put them in jail to the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. When I read that this week, I was a little bit sort of mad. Why, God, would you just say, the men, there was no mention of women or children. You saw my little granddaughter, Una, there, leading you in worship this morning. I love women and children. I love the whole of society. Why did he just write man? And first of all, before I went to my good old helps, I asked God, what does this mean? And I got this sense from God, and what he said to me is he said, well, I work with cultures, and I don't often violate them much unless I need to, and in that culture, God said, they only counted men. So when I inspired the word of God, that's all that got written. I thought, well, that sounds like a good argument. So then I went to my commentaries, and guess what? The commentaries said the same thing. 
Verse 5, the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Now listen to this question. By what power or what name did you do this? This was likely a trick question or a trap question. Do you remember one of the uh, accusations brought about Jesus to be crucified? He claimed to be God. He wouldn't deny he was God. And so I believe they probably were trying to trap them up. But I think this question has relevance for us today too. I mean, Peter and John were very obviously flowing in the power and doing things in the name of Jesus. And so these religious leaders, with their arrogant hearts and lack of humility, trying to trip them up, by what power or what name did you do this? And let me ask you, would you get asked that question? Or would you say, well, I got my master's in business education or I have my chartered accountant license or I, I'm picking on all my elders. Let me think of some other things. I've got my PhD in theology. In a moment, we're gonna see Peter credits the power to his healing experience, to, to what this lame man had happened to him. No matter what, this is an important question to ask ourselves as a church. By what power, what name do we do this? If we don't get this right, we will lose our children. We will see the church decline. We will see us move into irrelevance. This is especially concerning because as I was reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, I came across these words in verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here comes the kicker, here comes the explanation. Having a form of godliness. My mind today thinks they went to church, they went to this church. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And here's the warning, have nothing to do with such people. This reminds me of Billy Graham's statement a lot of people have enough of religion that it inoculates them from the real thing. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ, the resurrection power, the filling of the Holy Spirit. As with many of the last months of sermons, what is our source? Why do we do what we do as a church, as individuals? Is our source in gimmicks and methods and training and teaching? Do we do these gimmicks and, and methods to grow the church in ourselves and our businesses? Even more pro probing, what power do you operate in? Is it just all the gifts you were born with or that your daddy taught you? This week, starting on Wednesday night, we will start our Soul Care Conference. This conference we are bringing in 
Our district office puts it on, and we want to do it to help people get unstuck in their current dry religious faith. We want people to have revealed the lies they've believed, the stagnation that they're living, so that we can rescue our church and our children and our country, potentially. Now, don't get me wrong. Education and wise leadership is not the thing that I'm trying to run down. But for me, I ask myself, have I supplanted God's direction? Have I supplanted God's power when I'm preparing a sermon, when I'm asking God for vision for the church? Am I just coming up with a really good worldly catchphrase? Have I denied God's power? Having the source of power clears Having our source of power clear in our minds helps make the next point become really critical. Listen how in verse eight, it describes a real key point in Peter. Verse eight says, then Peter, listen to this, filled with the Holy Spirit. I could go on, but I wanna hang on that just for a second. What does filled with the Holy Spirit look like? Well, filled with the Holy Spirit, we know at conversion, the Holy Spirit comes in us. Jesus said he needed to go away so the Holy Spirit could come. And the Holy Spirit needed to come because we needed some power. We needed somebody to counsel us. We needed somebody that could just not work with 12 people, but with a billion people. And the Holy Spirit has come, and he's inside of us. The Holy Spirit filling us, it looks like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I often get asked the question, well, when I'm dealing with a situation, and I, I come up with a good idea of what I should do in that situation, how do I know it's from God? Well, I've come to the point where I ask people, have you put it through the fruit of the Spirit filter? Because if your idea is filled with anger, vengeance, hatred, a lack of self-control, getting even, that's not from God. Well, what if I miss my opportunity and I will tell people, I miss opportunities all the time because if I can't get my heart filled with the Holy Spirit, if I can't get the right attitude, I leave it alone. And sometimes situations demand that I get my heart right because they're time sensitive, but let me encourage you. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need my children to see that when I lose my temper, the Holy Spirit comes upon me and I make it right. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, and here it comes, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus said, the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. Ooh, exclusive claim. For there is no other name 
under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And here, just listen to their response. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were, listen to this, unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Friends, you can't argue with God's power in your life. Nobody can argue with it. The atheists, the non-atheists, the skeptics, the internet, whatever it is, they can't argue when God is moving in your life. My wife's grandfather, he was a Fellowship Baptist preacher for 50 years. He died, I think he was 88 or 92 or something. I remember I was just starting in ministry and I would often ask him, can you give me some advice? And he said to me, whenever you come to a new town, always pray for a Lazarus. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, well, somebody who's either dead or so close to dead, their, their soul is just wrecked. They're, they're a reprobate. They have a bad reputation. They've been in and out of jail. Uh, they need healing, whatever it is. But pray for a Lazarus and that God does a transforming healing work in their lives. And I said, why would I want to do that? This text, you can't argue with God's power. Why are our young people walking away from the church? Because there's no power in our homes, in our lives. There's nothing that sets us apart. I mean, I've got to the point now at my age, even character development is just becoming more and more important to me. I wanna be a better human being, I wanna be a better person, but if I try really hard, I'm gonna just be frustrated. But if I get in relationship, I start hearing the voice of God. I, I start to memorize scripture verses. I, I start to ask the Holy Spirit to fill me. I, I get friends to pray over me about stuff. I can be different. I can be, I'm not talking perfection. Don't get me wrong. Here's an interesting statistic. The more education a pastor has, the less he prays. I'm not speaking against education. I would argue education mixed with the power. You see that in the Apostle Paul in the scriptures, a very educated man. You read his Greek stuff compared to Peter's stuff, <laughs> and I've studied Greek, and I can tell you there's a huge difference. Uh, the Apostle Paul had grammar, and, and he had words that he would write that were so big. It was, it, he would go on in sentences for three or four pages. The guy was brilliant. Mix that with humility and the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit and you have a guy that transformed the world. But why is it that pastors, the more educated they are, the less they pray? It's because we begin to rely on our methods and our training and we stop listening to God. We don't need to hear God. It reminds me, when I was first a pastor, I was so green, my goodness, I would be praying fervently before Sunday mornings because I didn't know what in the world I was doing. And then as time went along, I became more confident in my parsing of the Greek and the Hebrew. I became more confident in my theology. I became more confident in laying out my points and my delivery and my one-liners, and I got really good at that. And I noticed a few years ago, I was drying up like a piece of toast. So now the first thing I do is I ask God what he wants. 
And I told you the story about the women not being mentioned and the children. I want you to know the first thing I do is I ask God, and then I'll make sure I'm hearing the right voice. I'm making sure it's Holy Spirit-driven, love, joy, peace, patience. Your knowledge of God is never a replacement for leaning into him and listening to him. I remember years ago, the chairman of a Bible camp that I was on a board of, he would never have meetings, and he would, he would make all these, he called executive decisions. <laughs> and I went to him and I said, why don't you meet with the board? Why can't we work as a team, a, a, a group of people with lots of backgrounds? We, we come with such wisdom. Why would, and he would just go, ah. He said, I know what they're going to think anyway. I know what they're going to say. I just vote for them. How do you think that worked out? The camp was almost finished at one point. Oh, he was a good guy. He meant well. But you see, he got it in his head that he had studied the men well enough and he knew what they were going to think and what they were going to vote on and what they would say. You see, we're like that with God. Oh, we know what he's going to do and say. Oh, I know what I'm supposed to do here. Oh, yeah, well, he just wants to bless me. Oh, he wants me to have that pickup truck. I love how the text just gets clearer and clearer as we go on in verse 15. And it says, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows Ooh, this is resurrection power. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, I mean, you think they would have woke up and said, we should listen, we should see what's going on. But to, this is what arrogance like. This is what training, this is what doctrine and theology can do to you if used improperly. But to stop this thing from spreading any further amongst the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied. I mean, they were asked the question, they answered the question. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? To religious leaders, you think that would be an obvious answer. You be the judges, they say. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Friends, what have we seen and heard? Have we had a Lazarus in our midst? I, I would argue we have. And one of them just became a member. Uh, four of them just came to Christ. This is undeniable truth. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Kind of smacks in your religious face. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old, and in those days, that was old. When I'm facing a teaching like this, I ask myself, how can I be a person of Jesus' power and listen to him? Here are some examples that I would try to employ in my own life reading this text. Before I start each day, I would ask, after reading this text, whose power am I going to live in? When you go to put your feet on the floor getting out of bed, ask yourself the question, whose power 
are you going to live in? Secondly, as my day progresses, I ask if I feel and sense the goodness of the Holy Spirit fruit. Do I feel his presence? Is my character being changed? If not, I need to sneak away and pray. If not, I need to sneak away and pray. And I know some of your jobs would be a little tough to do that, but you can always quietly kind of pray. Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me your peace and your presence. Thirdly, as I'm faced with decisions in my day, I ask, what voice am I listening to? My voice, the world's voice, or Jesus' voice? So in conclusion, as we come to the communion table, have you experienced Jesus yet? I'm not talking about an intellectual thing, although that's part of it but I'm talking about a 40-year-old being healed or a reprobate like yourself being transformed. Secondly, is the Holy Spirit filling you? I think it was, was it four or five Sundays ago I asked you to come down and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Over 100 came down. My fear of that is it would just be, and I said the words then, it would be a visitation, not a habitation. So I have determined as we go through Acts every Sunday, I want to remind you, we want the Holy Spirit to habitate in your life. I want the Holy Spirit to habitate in my life. I want to be different. I want to be changed. I want my children to be so in love with Jesus because they see me so loving Jesus. Thirdly, who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare for communion, I know the Apostle Paul, as he was writing to the Corinthians, he warned them that they needed to examine their hearts. And so, Father, we want to take just a minute and examine our hearts. So many of us have become so entrenched in our ideologies. We think we have earned the right at our age and our experience that we don't need to be taught or retaught anything. We have lost humility. And I know, Holy Spirit, that you cannot work in hearts that are proud. And so as we come to this communion table, examine us that we would take this communion in a worthy manner where we would hold the bread and remember that Jesus' body was given up for us. We would hold the cup and remember his blood was poured out on the ground as a forgiveness for our sins. And on the third day after being in the tomb, he rose again. And we, God, will say we want to live in the resurrection power, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for this table. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.